Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. We'd like to wish good luck to uh, whichever team it is that's going to win today in the Super Bowl. Whichever one actually winds up winning, we're going to make believe that we called them ahead of time, and then we're going to be elevated to Baba Bikubal status. That's number one. Number two, we'd like to welcome. We'd like to wish all the people uh, who uh, what's it called who are having Super Bowl parties in their homes that it should be at, as Jewish as possible. Of course, it's going to be a Super Bowl experience, so how could that be Jewish? You should just know that there's Torah Anytime is combining with a couple different speakers that during the halftime show, instead of watching, I don't know, somebody shake their ab or maybe there's something else a little bit better you could do, there's going to be Torah classes uh, given by the best speakers in the world. Uh, what's it called? During the, what's it called? During the uh, halftime show. Tune into Torah anytime and you'll be able to see people like Charlie Harari, Yoel Gold. I'm sure you'll be inspired and you'll walk away holier uh, for the experience. Okay, Rabotai. We read the parashah, it begins, it says, And it was when Paro sent the people. And it was when Paro sent the people. And he did not want to take, God did not want to lead the people a certain route because that way he thought maybe God says they're going to see and they'll return to Egypt these are people who were slaves they, didn't, they weren't warriors they weren't people who were great Torah scholars they, they, were, uh, you know, they were only beginning their ascent uh, what's it called? Into what's it called? Well, this is why I think, by the way, the 49ers are going to start off, uh, what's it called? Losing. And they're going to wind up winning because that's this week's parasha. The Jewish people, it says in Egypt, were mem tet et tumah. 49 levels of tumah of impurity. That's the 49ers down below. But then they wind up going up to Matan Torah, which is through Bishalach and Yitro, 49 levels of Kiddushah. So that means the 49ers are going to first lose horribly and then ultimately come back with a massive comeback. It's very, very tough to make a prediction like that because they don't have that kind of offense. They're just good on the defense. So if the, it would have worked the other way around, it would have made more sense. But either way, that's the prediction I'm sticking with uh, from this week's Parashah. Rabotai, the Sifarim note something which is very interesting. There are two expressions in the Torah which mean the same thing. Now, language buffs will know. Language buffs will know that in Hebrew, not only are there different words for present, past, you know, and future, there are also different words, prefixes or suffixes, which indicate masculine or feminine. But there's also words as well that are differentiated, not by masculine, feminine, past, present, future, active, passive, but even, even joyous and sad. So when you want to say, and it was in a joyous way, you would say, Vehaya. Where do we find that? Vehaya behaniyach Adonai and it will be in that day when God will give you respite from all the nations around you. What do we find in the Shema? God will give you all the blessings. Always means, and it will be in a joyous manner. Always means something that was negative. 
הוא אחשוורוש, המולך מהודו ועד כושבע, ועשרים ומהמדינה. The beginning of the story of Purim is a very despondent beginning. The Jewish people make a mistake. They're about to be wiped out. Vayihi always represents something which is negative. Vayihi bimeh shefot ha-shoftim. It was in the time where everyone was judging everybody else. The people were even judging their own judges. That's how we open up the story of Ruth, Amu'aviyah, with the descent of Elimelech from being such a noble man in the Jewish people to running away from the Jewish people's problems and trying to protect only his own family and preserve his fortune. Vayihi is a sad expression. So Esther Farashim, we are now leaving Egypt. How should we begin this parasha? Vehaya b'shalach. And the Jewish, and it was when the Jewish people were sent by God out of Egypt. And the Mepharshim say something which is, wow, so penetrating. You know what was so sad about the Exodus? Vayihi b'shalach parot After 210 years of slavery, after all of the problems that the Jewish people had, after all of the murder, after all of the pain, after all of the suffering, the only way the Jews left Egypt was bishalah paro et ha'am. They needed to be sent by paro out the house. They needed to be pushed out the door. By the way, later on in the desert, what do you see? Again and again, the Jewish people say, let's go back to Egypt. We remember Egypt. Let's go back to Egypt. Let's point ahead and go back. What's going on? The saddest thing about the freedom that is given to a slave is when the slave sticks and cleaves and clings to his slavery. Where he's offered on a plate freedom, and he doesn't have enough of a free head to choose the gift that is in front of him. So how did the Jews leave Egypt? That's very sad. I've gone through this idea with you many times. The story of the Jewish people's sojourn in Egypt is not a historical narrative, but rather a current description of each and every person's experience with slavery. Something that they are uh, bound by, something that they are enslaved to, whether it is fame and fortune, whether it is power and honor. Each person experiences their own descent into slavery. And as well, with the right prayers, in, in time, with emunah, with hard work, they can actually escape from that slavery. But so often, a person is looking over their shoulder. You know, they tell a story about a man who was terribly addicted to alcohol for many, many years. One day, the family, you know, makes an intervention. The guy, they drag him into the house. He walks in the house. What's going on? What's going on? They turn on the lights. Everybody's there. His father, his mother, his grandmother, his grandfather, his school teachers, his friends, his family. What's going on here? It's not my birthday. He says, no, it's not your birthday. This is an intervention. Everybody in the world who cares about you is in this room. And we're all here. We gathered here together to tell you that where the path that you're on is destructive and we cannot support you anymore. And if you carry on in this way, everybody here is going to leave you behind. 
for your own good. We're going to cut you out of our life. That's what you risk with doing this, uh, continuing on this path. The man said, what are you talking about? How could you do this to me? They said, we're not doing anything to you. You're doing this to yourself. We're just trying to make you realize what you're doing with the bottle. You're cutting us out. We just want you to understand that we're going to act first to show you what it is that you don't realize you've been doing. The guy's crying. We're talking about this, that. He said, okay. You know, he's not going to throw away everybody he loves. He promises. He goes to rehab. It's a horrible process until finally he gets better. He's got the chip. He's got the sponsor. Every day is a battle. Every day he fights hard. The 12 steps. Until eventually he climbs out of this hole. He doesn't touch anything now. Not a beer, not kiddush wine, nothing. That's the way it is. A person who's an addict, you know, they say addict for life. You, you know, you fall off the wagon once, chalas. You don't, uh, you know, you don't fall off with one hand, you fall off the whole body. He's walking down the road two weeks later, three weeks later, a month later with his family and his kids. And all of a sudden he sees a guy in the gutter, sleeping, covered in his own vomit. And one of the sons looks at his father and he says, Dad, look, look, that was you. Look, look at where you are now. And the father's shaking his head. The father's shaking his head. And all the kids think, look, he realizes now. He finally gets it. The man walks over to the drunk, leans down and he says, I have to know. You look like it was, what was, what'd you have? What was it? Which whiskey, which bourbon, which vodka, which tequila, which was it? I never, I never got this drunk. I gotta know, I have to, which one was it? The kids couldn't believe it. Here the father wants to know which one he should buy next because look, look at the kind of drunk he, the guy got on it. Rabbi that's what it means. Sometimes a person has been in a situation for so long that they don't know how to leave it. They're so comfortable with it that actually the jacket, the way it fits, you know, it's a good fit. What do you mean? But it's itchy, it's scratchy, it's this. It's, yeah, but I got used to it. I got used to it. And they're incapable anymore of seeing the challenge of it. When it comes to moments like that, when it comes to issues like that, sometimes God, sometimes God needs to shove you out the door. Sometimes God needs to destroy the business. Sometimes God needs to bring up something in the marriage, show you something with the relationship with the kids, to give you the kick in the pants that you, that you can't, even though he's offering you a million easy ways out, but you're not taking any of those. Such is the uh, is the hashkacha of Hakadosh Baruch Hu that God will take you where you need to go, but it's either going to be with you, holding your hand, or shoving you down the front steps. Now, I want to share with you an unbelievable uh, story. <clears throat> there was a man who owned a uh, CD. Uh, disc store. Remember those 
stores, the, the place that would burn CDs. He's living in Israel and he's approached one day by a massive organization. They're having their you know, 50th anniversary dinner or whatever it is. 1,500, 2,000 people coming to this fundraising dinner. They've been planning this dinner for years. When do organizations, charitable organizations, when do they start planning this year's dinner? The day after last year's dinner. That's how it works. But this, they've been planning this for years. Every streamer, everything, the color scheme, the items, the this, that. And they thought, you know what they're going to do? In order to really bring in the money that they need for the tzedakah, they got a very famous singer to record a song that he wrote special for the organization. It's one of these beautiful songs, haunting melody. The words break your heart about the chesed that the organization is going to do. They spend all this money. Now they take this guy, we want you to burn us 2,000 CDs with the song. We want On the front cover, we want you to put the image like this, the colors, and it's going to fit right in the middle of the plate. It's going to match the whole table, bring everything together. <clears throat> They're going to go home. They, everyone's going to listen to the song. They're going to melt. They go to the guy. Okay, they close the price. The fella prints, prints the CDs. He sends them to the, what's it called? He sends them to, you know, to the dinner. Everything's beautiful. That night, maybe 12.30 at night, the fellow who owns the CD store has a phone ring. Now, if it's a CD store, probably it was a home phone. I don't even know if they had cell phones, right? He, gets, he runs up, thinks it's an emergency. He grabs the phone. Hello, who is this? The guy says, who is this? How dare you? What kind of business do you think you're running? He says, what are you talking? Who is this? He says, it's the own, I'm the CEO of this charitable organization. He says, calm down, tell me what happened. He goes, calm down. Don't tell me to calm down. We spent this money to put this dinner together. You ruined the whole thing. We got the singer, we composed the song, he hired the band, everyone is supposed to go home. He says, and I got started getting phone calls. 20 minutes after the dinner was over, the dinner was beautiful. Now we knew all we need them to do is go into their car, put the CD into the player, on their way home, cry their way home about the great work that we do, and then tomorrow morning, the fattest checks are gonna start rolling in. Phone call after phone call after phone call said, why did you give us out CDs at the dinner with a recording of some random rabbi's funeral? All it is is one hour of speeches in Yiddish of some rabbi's funeral. You ruined everything. We've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on the dinner we've lost now, we feel. And all the money that would have come into this organization we've lost now. And the guy is so embarrassed. He says, how could this happen? He says, I'm so sorry. He goes, there was a family that came. Their grandfather passed away. He was a rabbi. They recorded the event on the same night I had. They were going to have a, a, the Shloshim. They were going to give away at the Shloshim this, the, the speeches to all the family members. They asked me for 60 discs. I must have got the orders incorrect. I printed 2,000 you know, copies of the, of the funeral and 60 copies of your song. Meanwhile, they're all crying. They get into their cars after the funeral, after the Shiloshim, and there's the guy singing with the band. Has he? Nobody even there could listen. There's still Avelim. Oh. Hada, he can't breathe. 
He's ruined the dinner. He's ruined the thing. He says to him, I promise you, I'll make it up to you. The guy says, what are you making? How are you going to make it up to us? And give us a discount on the next disc. You think we're ever going to use you again? You're going to give us, you know how much money we needed to raise for the organization, the court that we would have done. All that's on your head. The guy's sitting there. It's 1 o'clock in the morning, 2 o'clock. He's tossing. He's turning. He can't sleep. Eventually, he says to himself, listen, Borei Olam runs the world. HaKadosh Baruch knows what he's doing. Now it's true, human error, you know, but I did my best. I didn't do it intentionally. It's never happened before. I can't be so hard on myself. It has to be that there's something, some plan here that Borei Olam is running up in the heavens. And you know what? I'll do my best. I made a mistake. I'll do my best to rectify it, but I can't kill myself. All this sleeplessness is not, is really indicating that I don't have the emunah to believe that Borei Olam knows how to sort this out. With those thoughts, he goes to sleep. 7 a.m., the phone rings. He picks up the phone, the same guy's screaming, but now he's screaming with a little bit of a different, it doesn't sound like a vayehi, it sounds like a vihaya. <laughs> he says, miracle! What miracle? What are you talking about? He says, I don't know what happened. Even when you make mistakes, he says, Hashem's on your side. What are you talking about, he says. Did the, did the content on the discs change automatically? What happened? He said, we got a phone call this morning. Seven, right here, I called you as soon as I got the phone call. There was one guy, maybe the wealthiest person at the dinner. We didn't even think that he would come. Somebody wrangled him into coming for a dinner. You know how it is when you have a dinner. Someone has to twist your arm until it nearly breaks and then you go. Someone managed to bring this guy. He didn't really have a connection with our, with our organization. We hoped something would be said, something would happen that would, you know, get them. So we did the whole thing. And this guy left. He calls me this morning, right before I called you. And he says to me, where did you get the hespedim, the funeral speeches of Rev Overmeister? <laughs> he says, what are you talking about? He says, we didn't get it. You think we sent everybody home with these, uh, with these recordings on purpose? The guy over there, you know, this is what happened. He says, I can't believe it. He says, what do you mean? He says, growing up, I was an orphan. And there was a rabbi in the neighborhood who took me under his wing, who treated me like I was his son. Everything I needed, he gave me. Guy would learn with me, would encourage me, did everything with me. He was a sadiq. I get into my car after the dinner is over, and I have to be honest, I wasn't really connected or moved by anything. It wasn't really my charity. I stick this in, and all of a sudden I'm hearing about the funeral. Mar- I didn't even know the news. I'm crying the whole way home. He says, I listened to the CD once, twice, three times. And you know what? When the rabbi said over there that he was so giving, it was true. I can testify. And when the rabbi said that he treated everybody in the community like they were his own family, it was true. I can testify. He says, you've touched my heart in a way that I have not been touched in decades. And you've reminded me of the strong connection that I've had with this rabbi and how kind people can be to people they don't even know. I don't know your organization. But in the zikhut of my rabbi who did something for someone he didn't know, I would like to also do something for a charity that I don't know. And he sent us, he promised us, he's sending us a check larger than the entire amount we expected to raise from the dinner from the entire community. Kicking and screaming, the guy. He's kicking and screaming. He wants all his money back. 
He's yelling at the fellow, what a horrible person he is, what a terrible person he is, and I'm not saying he's wrong. But what is important to recognize, Rabbi <clears throat> is that when Borei Olam is trying to lead you somewhere, sometimes that road is smooth. He brings me on calm waters, he leads me. But sometimes, he doesn't lead us to where we need to go on calm waters. He gets a paro to give us a giant kick in the tochas. Listen, listen, listen to what Hashem is telling you. Sometimes the things that we are stuck in are not for our benefit. And sometimes being comfortable, usually being comfortable is not a positive thing. It is a negative thing. Comfort means you're not growing. If in your religion, in your Torah, in your tefillah, if it's not hard, you're in, you're in slavery, you're in Egypt. That's the nature of it. You got to be kicked in the pants, you got to be shoved, you got to be challenged, you got to be pushed, and that's how it works. That's how you grow. So Rabotai, I'd like to end, if I can, just by saying the end of the Pasuk. What's the, what's the problem? How come God led them down this, this route? Because he, he knew that if the people would experience war, what would happen? God understood that a people that was so difficult to shake, to wake up from their current situation, if he didn't take them on an easy route... If they saw the tiniest beginnings of war, they needed to fight for something, they, even if they had all the signs behind them, all the makot, the slightest sign of discomfort of war, Mishavu Misraim, they'll go right back to their comfort, to their comfort, to their, to their blankie. I was on the plane the other day, and I saw a young a woman, maybe 25 years old, and she's lying down across the seats, and she has a blanket, and what is she holding? A teddy bear. <laughs> He's 25 years old. You holding a teddy bear for? What are you holding a security blanket for? Do you know what the answer is? Yeah. Some adults have security blankets. And we, because that's how humanity works, we laugh at other people's security blankets while we clutch tightly onto our own. When we're not willing to make our own moves to take any risks in our own life. We're not willing to confront somebody for something that needs to be made right. We're not willing to ask for a raise, a security blanket. May God bless us, Be'ezrat Hashem, to always leave, to always leave our comfort zones, to always strive to be, uh, what's it called, to be great, and to never be worried about a little bit of milchama. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ba'amen. Today's breakfast is dedicated in loving memory of Mili Marcus Alea Shalom Lilu Nishmat Malka Bat Geretz. Sponsored by the Marcus family. Rabbi Harim Rakesh Amor Tzak.